Hey, podcast listeners, hope you're doing well, and I hope you are winning contracts. Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to share something with you that's working for our clients. Our federal access knowledge base is helping companies win contracts every single day. I regularly get emails from members thanking us and saying things like, hey, I just won a $2 million contract. Many of you have seen a video that Chris Danback shot for us at GovCon. Chris won two contracts totaling $30 million. One of our members emailed me this morning and said, the turning point that opened my eyes was using federal access to establish a professional and systematic business development and RFP process. I've now won two contracts worth $480,000. Federal access is helping a lot of companies win. It can help you too. So here's the deal. I have a special offer for you. Visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers today and get started for just $29. You're going to get access Access to a digital copy of the government sales manual, over 70 strategy videos, more than 30 webinars, 300 documents and templates, and one of my favorite pieces is SME support. So when you run into any issue, any challenge at all, you can email me directly for help. So go check out the special offer today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. The link is in the description below the podcast. So go check that out today, federal-access.com forward slash game changers so you can get started for just $29 today. Now let's hop into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. So Doc, you know, this episode that we're going to be talking about today is about your chapter from the Becoming a GovCon Expert book, where you talk about going from the the kitchen table to the conference room, which I thought was a really great topic. Talk to me a little bit about why it's so hard for companies, or I would say maybe instead of companies, individuals to think beyond themselves to what it takes to add employees. Well, great question. And it's got multi-facets, bro. So I don't know if I can hit them all, but I'm going to open with a cool salvo that my buddy, Mike Lejeune, wink, wink, taught me a long time ago. And the story goes, hey, I'm Joe Smuckatelli. I was working for a contractor. I got some military experience. I lucked into a contractor role. They loved me so much. They hired me away from my company. They threw me the contract when it came up for recompete. Hey, man, I'm a GovCon expert, right? Well, until the first contract runs out and you got no business savvy, you got no business model, like you have no idea how to go get your next contract. Welcome to it, man. Like it just got really rough. Same thing with business, right? So like, I'm really good at what I do, or I know what I know, or I can build what I build. I'm an inventor, whatever I am. And so I, somebody says, Hey, you got to go into business. So I go into business, right? And so maybe I get lucky, or maybe I've got enough inclination about a strategy and a business plan or whatever to, to somehow get to market with something. And I start to sell that something. At some point, brother, you become the bottleneck. If you're the only IP creator in the entire organization, you're the bottleneck. So you have to make a decision right there. And you and I have talked about this before. You have to consciously decide, hey, am I cool bottlenecked at X hundred thousand dollars a year? And this is how I make my living until they roll me into a hole and there's no legacy? Or am I building a company company? right? Is it a lifestyle company or a business business, as you say? So once you answer that question, hey, I think I want to make this a long-term thing, an ongoing principle, we'd call that in finance and capital. Once you decide that that's the road you're going down, you got to get yourself out of the bottleneck, right? Like how do I get, and and the government stratifies them, one to 10 employees, 11 to 20, 
like 20 to 50 and then it goes into the hundreds but but anyway so we'll get into all that later but that's how i would open it you got to get to you got to get to 10 man the core team yeah no that that's good you know my, my friend brad used to say here's the test to discover if you own a business number one can you sleep in till 10 a.m tomorrow <laughs> You know, if, if you, uh, it, we do this in conference rooms and, and you're like, so sit down if you can't sleep till sleep in till 10 at 10 AM, you wake up and you call into your office and there's somebody there to answer the phone and it's not you. <laughs> so that's the next test. And when they pick up the phone and you say, hello, it's me. They actually know who you are. You know, that's part of it. And then you're, you tell them, Hey, I'm going away for six months. Take care of everything. Uh, you know, I'll be back, you know, later. And, uh, if you need anything, just reach out and they're okay with that. And when you come back in six months, it's still growing. Like that's how you know you own a business. If you can't do that, you really just have a hobby or a lifestyle business. And, you know, it's trying to get people to understand both are okay, but if you're trying to build a business that grows without you, that allows you to go on vacation, that allows you to do things that you enjoy, you know, it takes a different mindset it and it takes a team usually even if the team is not 10 people it's a team bigger than yourself talk to me about why that it's i think you talked about in the, in the chapter for becoming a, a govcon expert you talk about those first nine hires to get to that 10 because there's there's nine hires plus you why is that like the critical mass if you will i always try and stay in my area of expertise i know business i've set, i've founded multiple businesses i've failed at a couple uh, i've got a nonprofit. i've got a phd in business with a concentration in finance so i'm not going to stand here and tell you like i'm an expert in all things business but i do know business foundations business fundamentals business startup so that's the lane i kind of stay in so why one to nine because i call those concentric circles just like you know a growing tree having a deep root ball that is can withstand and a strong wind. Those first nine, brother, got it. They they have to. Now, I'm not saying hire like people. That's not what I'm saying, right? Put experts around you that can bring dissenting opinions and bring creativity. But those first nine people got to believe what you believe at the core. Mm. Hey, I do this mission for this purpose for this customer constituency in accordance with these values, beliefs, because that's who we are at our core, right? I don't change my speech. I don't change my uh, beliefs. I don't change my, you know what I mean? I don't tell you whatever mm. you, I got to tell you in an interview to get a job. Right. That first nucleus, you're hiring for fit. I can train capabilities. I can mm. train, uh, I can train you on basics and get you the knowledge and experience as you grow in the job. I can train you for technical stuff. If, if you don't fit, then we're going to have a problem day one. So that, that first nine, what you're really looking for is screening them for resiliency, adaptability, autonomy, responsibility, accountability, conviction. Can they internalize a mission and execute it so that when you're not around, they talk like you? The customer could hear the frontline manager talk about the company and its mission and its societal importance the same way that you would the founder hmm. and they get the same general idea of who the company is what the company does why the company does it and 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 why that makes the company tick that's why it's important that first core nine yeah you know that, that's good you know I, I think a lot of people when they think about the first nine hires they think about well what positions are those you know that that's the focus is it's it's about position and okay so what's critical in the first nine is it you know some salespeople or you know, some finance people, some, you know, what is it? You know, what, what are the positions? And one of the things that I took away from reading your chapter on this was 
regardless of the positions, it's really about what you just said about that culture and and those people and their mindset, because those first nine people could all be salespeople. They just need to fit inside that that framework that you were talking about there, they they could be, you know, five salespeople and four customer service people. It doesn't really matter. So like, instead of looking at it as the first nine positions are specifically two salespeople, one customer service people, one finance person, one accountant, one, you know, instead of looking at it that way, it's looking at your need and then that fit in the company, that fit in the culture. And I think that's a different way to look at it than, again, the, the check boxes of, of well, what positions. Because clearly, if I, you know, if I don't hire a salesperson first or or, or a finance person first, then I'm going to fail. And but I think that's where where we are in business. Because you know, I, I go back to the example a little bit ago about about the business owner that can go away for six months. And the the other thought that that we've always had around this was take that same guy or gal, and they let's say they were a carpenter. They're probably the best carpenter they know, but they don't have any training in business. So there's just this massive gap of knowledge on how to do finance, how to do sales, how to do accounting, how to invoice their clients, how to collect payments. There's there's all these gaps because even if you go to business, like how much do you feel like you actually got out of business school that taught you how to run your business? Uh, it taught me how to spell business. Right. But there not you, there you go, uh, right? like not until you tried to take the test the first time. Like, hey, when you're trying to price your consulting fee, these this nonprofit won't pay that much, but this for profit will. Okay, so I better have two capability statements, one for my nonprofit clients yeah. and one for my for profit. You know, you don't the, the nuances of that stuff you don't figure out until you're in the trenches. So you gotta have a basic plan, a basic mission, a basic objective, a basic goal, some basic outcome expectations, Mike. Like, hey, yeah. how much revenue am I gonna make my first year? What is my profit margin? Because that tells me what, you know, turns into cash and retained earnings. So I grow the company and feed my family when I'm all done. I mean, you got to know that basic stuff um, to, to get yourself started and rolling. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, you but, but you also don't want to be, you know, analysis paralysis, right? Like just start, but do it leanly. You know, my, my uh, you ever heard of the lean business model? Yeah. Right. So I'm a big fan of that. How do we, how do most companies do it? Hey, here's my cool concept. I got to have a CFO and a chief accounting officer and a chief right. ethics officer and a COO and a CEO. Right. And, a, and they go hire all these people and there are 3 million in. And the sexy thing to do right now is, Hey, how much capital have you raised? How many rounds? Like Shark Tank it all up. Right. Like, and then you figure out like you're not selling anything. Whoops. No yeah. revenue equals no shot at profit. Right. Like, an old golf adage. If you'll never make any of the putts that you don't get to the hole. So right. you gotta have revenue, but you gotta turn it into profit. What you gotta do with profit, turn it into cash, which turn it into retained earnings so you can grow the company and hire more people and grow the company some more. I mean, that's that's it. Basic blocking and tackling. So um the only reason the only way you learn that stuff is is by doing it. So get started, but have a basic goal, a basic objective, some basic metrics and some basic outcomes. And then one more thing, if I might, when you say position, a lot of speaking of this building this massive infrastructure and then going bankrupt because we had no sales, right? Fail fast, right? When I hear position, I think, oh, structure. I think task. I think jobs. I think, oh, well, that's a luxury that a company with 500 employees and 50 million in revenue can afford to do. If I've got 10 right. employees in a department and seven of them are mailing it in, three of them are butt kickers, the other seven can get carried. Man, in a startup, bro, if it's you and nine people, there's no room for people mailing it in at all. Everybody's right. giving it 110 percent, or you're not playing on the team, right? So it's not about positions and structures and capabilities to do tasks. It's about, hey, in general, here's what we do for a living. Here's why we do that. Here's what we believe is important. If you're into that, here's some general responsibilities. We all are. Here's some pails of water. We're all expected to carry. 
Right. Do you have the capabilities to do that? Are you adaptable enough to give that a go? And then the, that first nine are buying into generalists, not specialists. They'll train mm. the specialists later as you grow, if you grow, because you're following a plan and executing ex- uh, aggressively. Right. No, no, I really like that. And, you know, to, to your point there about those, those first several hires, I do see a lot of people that come from, let's say, a corporate world and whether they've gotten laid off and they've got a, a package that they came with. So they've got some cash, you know, that sort of thing or, or whatever it may be. They come into this world as a startup. And the first thing I see before they have revenue is people. And I'm like, why do you have people and no revenue? I'm like, well, you know, I shouldn't be doing admin tasks. I'm like, well, you should be making some profit <laughs> before <laughs> before you start hiring people. You're like, well, you know, you know, it's admin tasks or $10 an hour task. And I'm, I'm famous in my coaching for talking about how look at the task and you shouldn't be doing less than what you what you know what i would pay you right like if you're a hundred not a hundred dollar an hour person you shouldn't be doing ten dollar an hour tasks at some point in your business but when you're a startup like i'm the web guy i'm editing podcasts i'm creating graphics <laughs> you know like i'm doing all of those things in fact rsm today we've been around for 11 12 years and we still operate parts of our business like it's a startup because we that's just the way it is you know there's there's no reason to bring other people in when you know it, it's just the way it is and so I, I always caution people that in those first nine hires, they're starting to hire all these people that they don't need. It just feels good. And they don't have the revenue to support it. You know, like if you don't have the revenue to support it, I, I get there's, you know, taking a leap of faith and all that kind of stuff. But man, some people have way more faith than I do about that stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you see that a lot in entrepreneurs that they just go overboard on hiring out of the gate with no revenue. Yeah. So, you know, and, you, and you're stuck. Your obligations are really limited. Hey, do I hire friends and family? I tell you, you know, be careful, right? Like money makes people do weird stuff and relationships get squirrely when money's involved. I'm just, so just a word of caution there. Do what you got to do. But the second thing is, is all I can't afford the talent. Hey man, I've been startups multiple times. So here's a trick that I learned from the trenches is, hey Mike, I know you're worth 197,000 bucks on the open market, bro. But this is a startup. Imagine what the third guy at eBay thought or the fourth guy at LinkedIn thought, Mike. I'm not telling you we're the next LinkedIn, but here's what I am telling you. If you believe what we do, why we do it, how we do it, who we do it for, and you want to be part of this cause instead of just part of a company, brother, why don't you come on and test drive us for six months? We'll test drive you for six months. So here's our independent contractor agreement. Here's the basic responsibilities you're going to be asked to hold down. Here's the company targets. Here's your targets. And then let's go take a test drive. At the end of six months, man, if you're not there, we don't talk about a salary bump. If you are there, we talk about a salary increase. Hey, I'll give you 10% on your salary, bro. You can either take five, up to 5% of it in cash or you could take 5% of it on your salary, like whatever. And, and just invite the employee or the the, the you know startup employee at that point to, to have a conversation with you about other things they can get out of becoming a part of the startup other than just cash. Because yeah. if we do bust our tail and we turn this thing into a $50 million a year and OG whiz you happen to have some stock options along the way. Well, we don't even need to talk about the 197 you thought you were worth because we're going to put a 27x factor on that. I mean, right. you know what I mean? Right. No, that, that's that's good stuff. It's good stuff. You know, and again, I, I think it all starts with a mindset. Are you going to go beyond yourself and build a business? Or are you going to stick in that lifestyle frame of work? And so I, I say this anytime I, I talk to Doc uh, or, or talk on the podcast about Doc, 
talk. If you've got questions about this stuff, reach out to us. You know, whether you reach out to me, reach out to Doc directly. I can connect you with Doc. And Doc offers coaching on this type of stuff. These are things that can help you figure that out. And I would say, I'm going to speak for you on this, Doc. I would say, you know, if, if you've already gotten to those nine people that thought you made a lot of mistakes along the way to that, it's definitely not too late to bring a coach in. Again, Doc, whoever it is, to take a look at this stuff and help you figure out how to reset. Because sometimes you just need to reset. It may be a couple of employees, maybe all the employees, we don't really know. But sometimes you just need to reset and think about the next nine and the next nine after that and those sort of things. So just some really, really simple stuff. So Doc, any final thoughts on this episode here? Yeah, I would say like my old man used to tell me, keep it simple, stupid. So KISS method when, so you're not just hiring these people for fit. You've interviewed them. You've got questions that are meaningful. How are you going to perform? Are you adaptable, resilient, whatever? And then you got to talk about performance. You know, I just talked about the six month trial period, like, and do it simple. Hey, here's your three or four major responsibilities. You get a plus if you kicked its tail, you get a a, a plus minus if you did average and you get a minus if you're below average. Hey, you string together two months in a row of below average in the same category. You got to, we got to have a conversation about what your next gig might be like. Yeah. Keep it simple and keep it objective, you know, so everybody can have an adult conversation about it. And if you're not working with adults, then, you know, there's a, there's a red flag right there. There's a red flag right there. You know, I like it. I like it. Good stuff, man, doc. I look forward to the next episode. All right, Mike. Thanks brother. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers. Game Changers.